Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillah ve salatu ve selamu ala seyyidina Resulillah. Allahümme ftahinina fütuhul arifin ve fiqna tevfiqus salihin. Allahümme alimna ma yenfa'una ve enfa'na bima alimten ve zidna ilma. Elhamdülillah. Esselamu aleykum ve rahmetullahi ve barakatuhu. I hope everybody is well. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect and bless all of you wherever you are. Elhamdülillah in, in the first podcast we had over 82 countries that actually... So I know that I'm speaking in the United States and sometimes we tend to be a little America-centric. So my apologies to all the people in other parts of the world. I do take that into consideration. I want to look at a text message that's related in the Sahih. It's really an extraordinary hadith. I mean, all the Prophet Sallallahu hadiths are extraordinary because he was extraordinary in every sense. But th- this hadith, I think, has a lot to tell us about the time that we're in. The hadith is from Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman, and he says, radiyallahu anhu, he was one of the great sahaba, he says, يَقُولُ كَانَ النَّاسُ يَسْأَلُونَ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَّ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَ عَنِ الْخَيْرِ وَكُنْتُ أَسْأَلُهُ عَنِ الشَّرِّ مَخَافَةَ أَنْ يُدْرِكَنِي فَقُتُ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ إِنَّا كُنَّ فِي جَهَرِيَةٍ وَشَرْ this hadith begins in which uh, Hudayfa ibn al-Iman, and he was somebody who was really concerned about the signs of the latter days, and he asked the Prophet constantly, and a lot of the hadith about the fitan and the latter days are from Hudayfa. But he said that the people were asking the Prophet about good, but I asked him about evil out of fear that I might end up confronting it. And so I said, O Messenger of Allah, we were in this age of ignorance, the jahiliya and sharr, loss or evil. And then Allah brought this good to us. Is there after this good more evil? And the Prophet said, Naam. Yes. And then Hudayfa says, Qutu, min Naam. And then he said, Is there after that evil good again? And he said, Yes. And then he said, but in it is dachan. And dachan, dukhan in Arabic is smoke. And there's actually a chapter called the chapter of smoke. And right now I'm, we're in the Bay Area and we've had a lot of smoke. So it's a horrible thing when smoke afflicts you. is in the surat al-dukhan, what you say when you're afflicted by smoke. But dachan is what, after there's been a conflagration, a fire, dachan is what is left over on the things that affected, the fire affected. So the Prophet ﷺ was indicating that these fitna would happen, but there would be the remnants of the fitna. So the khair would not be pure like it was when it'll have the effects of the fire after it. And then, and then I said, what's the dakhan? Because he understood this was a metaphor. So he wants to know what that metaphor was for. And so he said, They are a people who will guide with other than my guidance. And in Arabic, you can use hedi, which means guidance, but you can also use it for evil, like to guide somebody down a, a wrong path. 
you know, Yahdihi ila sharr, he guides him to evil. It can be used that way. That's what Ibn Abi Jamra says in his commentary. Ta'rifu minhum tunkir. You will know there's some ma'roof from them because like the Mu'tazirite were Muslims and they had a lot of good in them, but there was things tunkir. There are things that you're going to reject from them also. And then is that after that good evil again? So Hudayf wants to make sure. Preachers to the gates of hell. Whoever responds to them, they will thrust them in the hell. Oh, Messenger of Allah. Describe them for us. In other words, tell us what they're like so that we might know them. They are from us. From our skin. You know, they look like us. And they will speak our language. So they're using our language. So what do you command me to do if I should ever see these people or that situation cling to the notice he says meaning cling to the majority of Muslims you know the congregation and their leader their imam now for me I see this as divine inspiration because who given that he was at that time I don't think he could have ever imagined there not being a jama'at or an imam but he did and that's ilham from Allah because he said, What if there's no jama'ah and no imam? What if there's no congregation, no group, and there's no imam? Then avoid all of the sects. So, S E C T S, sects, you know, these are the groups that all make their claims. Imam Malik was asked, how do we know them? He said, they will use names other than Muslimin. They'll call themselves, they'll have like jama'ah this and jama'ah that, which does not obviously involve like calling somebody a Maliki or a Hanbali or a Hanafi because those are valid teachers that you're associated with or their schools. But they're Muslim. Like every Hanbali says, I'm a Muslim. And he wants to be raised up as a Muslim, not outside of the Jama'at al-Muslimin. So that's what he said. He said, avoid all those groups. Even if you have to bite onto the root of a tree until death comes to you and that's your state. So I want to just think about this idea of biting onto the root of a tree. Like, what does that mean? Because one of the ways that you destroy a people is you cut them off from their roots. That's what you do. You sever the roots. So when you want to bonsai a tree, you know how to bonsai a tree. The Japanese learn that if you keep cutting the roots, the tree will never grow into its giant effulgent form. It'll just be a little bonsai tree that you can keep in your house on a shelf it, it won't grow to give shade or fruit or any of those things. So cutting people off from their roots. So he was saying cling to the root of what's the tree? The tree of Islam. It's the root of the tree. And what is the root of the tree? Tawheed. Tawakkal ala Allah. 
trust in Allah. Don't trust in groups. Don't trust in ideologies. Don't trust in anything anybody's going to tell you because they will sever you from your roots. And the roots are what nourish the tree. Without the roots, the tree has no nourishment. And so you can see if you want to do this, there's a step-by-step. First, you cut off the idea that we were created by God. I mean, that look at humanity now being told, oh, you came from this. They claimed there was like lightning struck a pond. And then this begins that even though they know you don't get DNA without RNA and you can't get RNA without DNA, it's a chicken egg problem. Where did it all come from? Where's the source? Even if you look, there's a very interesting interview with David Berlinski. It was a really brilliant. He's a contrarian. He's a genius. And I don't think he takes a position. I think he considers himself an agnostic, maybe, I think, probably. But an agnostic is at least humble enough to say, I don't know. Because agnostic from the Greek, agnosis, without knowledge. So he's just saying, I don't know. But the atheist, there's an arrogance in the person that claims that it's like a fetus in a womb claiming that there's no mom. I mean, this is what an atheist is like. So David Berlinski, who is a very brilliant philosopher and mathematician, there's a very interesting interview with him and a a very famous microbiologist and a mathematician on Hoover Institute. And one of the things that he points out, and the microbiologist who had traditionally believed in evolution ends up really conceding to him that it is impossible for life to have emerged the way that the evolutionary biologists explain it. It's so astronomically out of any statistical reasonable argument because it's much too complex. Darwin believed that the further down you went, the simpler it went. And what we're finding is the further down you go, the more complex it gets. In fact, one cell in your body contains more information than the entire 25 million volumes that are in the Library of Congress. I mean, these type facts, you know, I mean, that might be a bit of a hyperbole, but that's the truth. I mean, the complexity of the genetic code is so extraordinary. And so this idea that we just arose without design and without purpose is so antithetical to basic fitra. We do not accept it. Like, I can't accept that. And it's not because I don't understand it. I've read enough about it. I had quite a bit of college-level microbiology, biology, chemistry, anatomy, and physiology. To me, it made a more convincing argument for me of the existence of God and not the opposite. And I know that there are scientists, but I really believe that it's a kind of confirmation bias, that they're already atheists, and then they're just looking for excuses to justify their atheism. Now, you could say, well, I was already a believer, and I'm just looking for, well, okay, we'll... We'll all find out when we die whose confirmation bias was confirmed. So you sever that connection that they're a creation of God. And then you cripple their aspirations. In other words, you sever this desire. See, look at the word desire. Desire comes from yearning for the heavens. I mean, if you look at the root of that in English, right? Yearning for the heavens. And so... Human beings yearn for something outside of themselves. That's why people do drugs and alcohol and all these things, because they want to get outside of themselves. It's called ecstasis. Ecstasy is getting outside of yourself. 
And the self is what wears us down, the ego, all these horrible things that disappoint us constantly as human beings. And so this desire to reach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is what the human being really wants. But there are forces in the world that are dark, demonic forces that are working to prevent this from happening. And they're from humans and also the spirit world. There's a whole spirit world that exists alongside this world. But they have their, there's a strategic alliance with people that are walking amongst us. The Prophet says toward the latter days there will be shayateen in the forms of human beings. So they're literally shayateen. And so when you say like somebody's down to earth, down to earth, on the one hand it means they're real, but there's another aspect of it, of getting them down to earth. This is from a, a brilliant theologian who said that you know bring them down to earth in other words make their aspirations worldly and not otherworldly so get them down to earth and then cut off the idea that there is something inherent in their being so remove this idea of having an essential human nature so for instance we believe that there's a fitra of the human being and fatir which is one of the names of god is the originator of that fitra. So we have a divine principial nature. And part of that nature, as Aristotle points out in the introduction to his book on metaphysics, that all human beings desire to know. So that is part of our human nature because we know we're different from all the other animals. We think. And thinking is immaterial. It's non-material. It's Thinking is a spiritual phenomenon. You can look at electrical activity in the brain, but thought itself, consciousness itself, is not material. Dreams, people live whole lives in their dreams. So we are spiritual beings embodied in these bodies. And so cutting them off from that idea that there's a fitra, and then tell them that morality is just a social construct. Morality is what the society says is right or wrong. So remove absolutes and everything becomes just relative. It's all relative. What's interesting about relativity is that you cannot assert relativity without the irony of asserting absolutes. Because if you say everything's relative, that is an absolute statement. And so you're actually, by negating absolutism, you can only do it by asserting it. I mean, that's an amazing irony that humans are stuck with. And so make all of our rights depend on the state, like the state is what gives you your rights. No, our rights come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. لَقَدْ كَرَّمْنَا بَنِي Adam. We have ennobled the human being. We've ennobled Bani Adam. And so our rights are unalienable. They come from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we have a right to life from inception all the way to birth, to take that right away from a life that Allah subhanahu put in a qarar makin. He put it in a protected abode. That's what the womb is called. And the womb is, is called rahim because it's merciful. What greater lack of mercy than to rip out a growing life in the womb with a suction machine? It's just stunning that... No, no Muslims in the past, in their right mind, would have ever done that. And that's why abortion is prohibited in most of the, the, all the Muslim countries that actually follow some form of Islamic law, it's prohibited. It's only in the secular states 
that you'll find that it's not. But in all the ones, because the opinion of any permissibility is so weak in all the schools. And I know some of the modern Hanafis will argue with that, but when I really investigated it, in the early period, nobody was of these opinions. So that's a huge problem. And then so what you end up with is these atomized human beings that are just, all they are is actions and reactions. They're just catabolic and anabolic phenomenon happening, and there's no real meaning to them. And then this is what they teach in schools, and then they wonder why children are cutting themselves and committing suicide. What do you do with children when you tell them that life is meaningless, that it's pure accident, and you're only here because of an accident? No, we're purposeful human beings. So these are the problems that we're dealing with in this time. And what that does, it basically strips human beings of all of their spiritual power because the real power that the human being has is in the human spirit and that's why the human spirit is able to overcome so many things so these are the problems that we're dealing with in the modern world we're dealing with people that are cut off from their roots and this is why this hadith is so to me so significant the prophet was saying cling to the root get back to the root uh, until death comes on you and the root of our religion is the book and the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. This book that we were given that has all the guidance that you need. You do not need guidance outside of the book and the sunnah of the Prophet to live a meaningful, rewarding life that leads to paradise. And so seeking the knowledge to gain that is why it's a path to paradise. Alhamdulillah.